calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Welcome to the serialized audiobook, Contagious, book two of the Infected Trilogy. Written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist, Scott Sigler. Performed by the author. Contagious is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash contagious. Day three. Crawl. Perry Dossie's seeds had come from batch 13. His triangles hatched in seven days. Due to constant design improvements, the seeds of batch 17 needed only five. Five days is an engineering marvel of self-organization, a testament to some seriously advanced technology. Consider it an upgrade to the old strain. For the new strain, however, five days seemed like an eternity. Whereas Perry's structures had to build many complex parts, the new structures produced only one thing, microscopic strands of modified human muscle, hacked muscle. Each strand contained muscle cells, of course, but also tiny neurotransmitter secretors and a complex crystalline set of molecules capable of both sending and receiving rudimentary signals. A hack strand by itself was worthless. It could wiggle, and that's about it. It could also send and receive I am here signals, which was key because the strands weren't designed to work by themselves. The I am here signals drew them together, almost like the last individual bits of cereal floating on top of your milk. The bits just float there until they get close, and then surface tension yanks them together. When a strand detected an I am here signal from another strand, it wiggled toward it. The wiggling strands reached out to each other, touched, and intertwined. Now their signal was twice as strong, drawing more strands, and so on. A normal human muscle cell by itself is useless. Many cells working in unison, however, produce complex movement. The hacked strands followed a similar logic. The whole proved greater than the sum of the parts. When the hacked strand collections reached a certain size, about 500 microns wide, the I am here signal shut off. A micron is one millionth of a meter. 500 microns is five ten thousandth of a meter, or about two hundredths of an inch. Damn small, but you can still see something like that with the naked eye. If you could have looked inside the bodies of Chelsea Jewel, Donald Jewel, and Betty Jewel, you would have seen something rather disturbing, something 
that looked very much like a human nerve cell. On one end, a long, thin axon. On the other end, branching dendrites spreading out like the tributaries of a river. But in a regular nerve cell, the dendrites don't latch onto other nerve cells, muscle cells, and membranes, and they certainly don't reach out and pull. Regular nerve cells, you see, don't crawl. The crawlers implemented a very simple navigation system, cause pain. This was a practical strategy, not a sadistic one. The human body is wired to give pain messages the highest priority. The crawler's stretching dendrites reached out, locked onto axons, then released a chemical that mimicked normal pain signals. Some nerves ignored this message. Those were the efferent neurons, the ones that carried signals from the brain to the rest of the body. Also called motor neurons, they let the brain do its thing, controlling muscle reactions and bodily functions. The nerves that did not ignore these messages of pain, but instead replicated them and passed them on to the brain, those were the afferent nerves. Once the crawlers identified afferent chains, they grabbed and pulled and crawled. Every three or four nerves, they released the pain signal again, measured the results, and kept moving. Eventually, their crawling would lead them to the brain. Unky Donnie departs. Fluffy snow blew lightly in all directions, flying into Chelsea's eyes and tickling her nose. She didn't feel good. She felt kind of hot, achy, and she had some little bumps on her hands. Those hurt a bit, but didn't itch or anything. She held her daddy's hand as Unky Donnie and Betty got into Unky Donnie's car. Betty blew her nose into a pink Kleenex, then put her head back on the car seat and closed her eyes. She didn't feel good either. Unky Donnie shut the driver's door and rolled down the window. He coughed hard, a rattling sound in his chest, then stuck his hand out of the window toward Daddy. Unky Donnie's breath billowed out as he talked. Little brother, thanks for having us, he said to Daddy. Thanks for the gift that keeps on giving. Oh, put a sock in it, Daddy said. You imported the creeping crud from Pittsburgh. I'm not shaking a hand you just coughed in. Unky Donnie's eyes narrowed. What the hell is that supposed to mean? Chelsea took a step back. Unky Donnie suddenly looked kind of scary. I'm just teasing, Daddy said. Relax, big brother. Unky Donnie stared for a few seconds. Then his face relaxed. He blinked a bunch, like he was waking up or something. Sorry, man. He said, I, I guess I just really took that the wrong way. Meds, Daddy said. Unky Donnie nodded. I took them, honest. Cool, Daddy said. We'll come down to Pittsburgh sometime soon. Unky Donnie's eyes narrowed again, then opened again. He shook his head the way a puppy would. Mommy stepped forward and leaned into the window to give Unky Donnie an awkward hug. Drive safe, she said. This storm is supposed to turn into freezing rain. The roads are full of downstaters, and the traffic is going to be terrible, so watch out for drunks. She backed out of the window. Unky Donnie smiled and nodded. Mommy went around the other side of the car to say goodbye to Betty. Unky Donnie looked right at Chelsea. He held out his hand. Come here, Dolly, he said. Say goodbye to me. Chelsea shrank back. Why did Unky Donnie want to touch her? Was he going to do something to her? Honey, 
Daddy said. Go say goodbye to your uncle. Unky Donnie smiled. Chelsea blinked a few times. It was Unky Donnie. Why would she be afraid of him? He loved her. Chelsea let go of her daddy's hand and ran up to the car door. She stood on her tiptoes and kissed Unky Donnie on the cheek. Bye-bye, Unky Donnie. You be a good girl, okay? Chelsea nodded. He seemed different. So did Daddy. So did Cousin Betty. The only one who didn't seem different was Mommy. Why was that? Maybe Chelsea didn't need to fear Unky Donnie at all. Maybe she needed to fear Mommy. Mommy might get the spanky spoon. Chelsea leaned in and whispered in Unky Donnie's ear, When we come see you, can you take me to get my ears pierced? Unky Donnie laughed and touched her cheek. I'm afraid that's up to your dad. Chelsea loved the way Unky Donnie smiled at her, just like Daddy did. Unky Donnie was a lot like Daddy. Chelsea wished he would come by more often. He knew a lot about the Detroit basketball. Unky Donnie's face wrinkled up. He gently pushed Chelsea away, then coughed so hard his head almost hit the steering wheel. He coughed again, then leaned back and laughed a little. He waved his hand at his face, like he was trying to cool off. I'm going to get you for giving this to us, Unky Donnie said to Daddy. I hope we get home before it really kicks in. I got a feeling this is going to be a humdinger. If you get sick, just be safe and get a hotel, Mommy said. Don't be a stubborn bastard like your brother. Candace, come on, Daddy said. Chelsea knew that Daddy was pointing at her, even though she couldn't see him doing it. He did that when Mommy used the bad language. Aw, crap, sorry, Mommy said. Okay, you guys, get going and drive safe. Unky Dottie rolled up the window and backed out of the drive. As he drove away, Chelsea poked at the little bumps on her hands. Mommy knelt down in front of her. Honey, are you okay? What did Mommy mean by that? Maybe she meant nothing. Chelsea did feel really hot. Mommy was just trying to take care of her. Chelsea shook her head. Okay, baby, Mommy said. Let's get you out of this cold air and back to bed. Me too, Daddy said. I feel wrecked. Let's hit the sack. The Jewel family walked inside the house. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. On a remote 
Island in Frigid Lake Superior. A fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Male Bonding Strategies Thew Phillips knocked on Perry's door. Come on in. Dude did so and shut the door behind him. Perry Dossie looked like hell. A red and black scalp line ran through his blonde hair. Another such line ran down his forehead in an angle from above his left eye almost down to the bridge of his nose. His lips were horribly swollen. The left eye was pure red dotted with a blue iris. Dossie was sitting on his bare mattress, elbows resting on his thighs, head hung low. He held a half-empty bottle of wild turkey American spirit. Where the fuck did you get that bottle? You get your per diem, I get mine, Perry said. Had another bottle in the trunk of the stang, but it broke. Duke casually pressed his right arm against his right side, feeling the comforting bulge of the forty-five under his jacket. He'd gotten lucky fighting Dossie, and he wasn't about to push that luck. If Dossie attacked, Dew was going to shoot him. How you feeling? Dew asked. Perry raised his head. The blonde hair hung in his face. I feel like someone hit me in the head with a table leg, Perry said. And the mouth. And the back. And thigh. And look at you. I can tell by that little band-aid that I really fucked up your world. Dew's hand went to the small band-aid on his forehead. The cut from hitting the table hadn't even required a stitch. If it's any consolation, Dew said, I can still barely move my arm. <laughs> Why, do you have arthritis? I didn't even land a punch. You grazed me, Dew said. That's all it took. Look, I'm not going to lie to you. My patience is at its end. You hurt any more of my men, I'm going to shoot you. If you come at me again, I'm going to shoot you. In the leg if I have time, in the face if I don't. We need you real bad, but I'm not about to take one for the team if you catch my drift. I'll, I'll behave, Perry said. You whip me fair and square. Dew marveled at the phrase. It sounded like something Dew would have said in his childhood after a fight. But that had been over 50 years ago. Kids today weren't like that. They didn't trade punches, then shake hands and call it good. Nowadays, they talk shit and found a gun. Dew felt a surprise spike of admiration for Perry. I'd hardly call beating you with a table leg fair, Dew said. Perry shrugged. I outweigh you by like 60 pounds. If I'd have got my hands on you, I'd, I think I would have killed you. Besides, it doesn't matter how you win, as long as you win. Silence filled the room for a few moments. So, Dew said. You're not looking for a rematch? Perry stared at the wall for a few seconds, then spoke slowly, thoughtfully. Not very many people can take me out. There's you and well, there's one other person that's ever done that. I don't want a rematch. I'll play ball. Do nodded. He let himself hope that maybe he'd finally gotten through. Okay, kid, let's start from the top. You told me that something had changed. What changed? The voice. The voice. You said they hadn't said any words yet. 
Can you hear any now? Perry shook his head. No. If I'm close enough to an infected, I can hear words, but when I'm far away, it's, uh, it's more like a sensation. Images, emotions, stuff like that. Sometimes I can get a grip on it. Sometimes it's like a half whisper in a crowded room. The more infected there are in one place, the stronger the sensation. You can only pick out little bits and pieces, maybe enough to get the gist of a conversation. You know what I mean? Do nodded. Now there's the same bits and pieces, but there's a different intensity. I don't know how to describe it. Sort of feels like, like you were down by 21 at the end of the half, but you adjusted your blitzing strategy, you shut them down, and your offense scored twice to cut it to seven. And there's three minutes left, and you're so excited because if you just get one more stop, your offense can tie it up or even win it. And that's hard to do, right? But you feel like it's destiny. It's going to happen for sure. You've got the momentum. You think you've got them figured out, and the win is... is... Inevitable? Dew asked. Perry snapped his fingers, pointed at Dew, and smiled. The smile looked ghastly on his stitched, swollen lips. That's it, Perry said. It's inevitable. That's what it feels like. So the voice of God says, or feels like, it's, uh, mounting a fourth-quarter comeback? Perry nodded. Yeah, that's pretty close. So what happens next? I don't know, Perry said. Maybe it actually is the voice of God, and if we get to heaven, he's going to kick us in the jimmy and send us packing. There ain't no heaven, Dew said, and there ain't no God. Because if there is some all-powerful deity, he sure is one mean fucker. He likes to let good people die and bad people live, and apparently he likes to infect former football stars with things that eat him up from the inside. I'll drink to that, Perry said and took a long swig of wild turkey. We're in a bit of a pickle here, boy, Dew said. Maybe you should stop drinking. Maybe you should start, Perry said. I killed my best friend, cut off my own junk, and I'm some kind of psychic call-in line for these things. And you? Dude, you're dropping bombs on America. You're in charge of fighting honest-to-God aliens. Ask me? That's a pretty good reason for a snort or three. Perry held out the bottle. Dew looked at the nasty scar on Perry's left forearm. War scars. That's what Perry had. Dew accepted the bottle. Kid was right. Dew took a long swig. The bourbon tang was a welcome sensation, a friendly memory of distant times when he could just have a drink and relax. He knocked back another long pull, then handed the bottle to Perry. Perry drank. You got something you gotta do? I'm doing it, Dew said. Margaret asked that we stay here a little longer, give you a chance to rest. So until we leave, getting you to be more cooperative is kind of my main job. Perry looked at the chair. Dew wasn't sure, but he thought the kid turned a little red, like he was embarrassed or something. You, uh, Perry said. You wanna sit down, shoot the shit? Perry offered the bottle again. Dew took it, sat down, and had another long swig. Unky Donnie has had better days. Donald Jewell, or Unky Donnie, as Chelsea liked to call him, did not feel good. 
Perhaps it was more accurate to say that he felt like a tainted can of boiled elephant ass. The fever had picked up steam. It came nicely packaged with an overall ache, as well as annoying shooting pains in his left arm. Far worse was that Betty seemed just as sick. She was slumped in the passenger seat, head against the window, eyes closed. And she was sweating. But that wasn't the worst of it. Someone was following him. He couldn't be sure who it was because there were so many cars on the highway. But he'd seen cars behind him, the same cars, several times. Who was it? What did they want? He'd been on the road for over two hours. He had at least six to go, more like eight or nine if the weather didn't let up. Freezing rain made driving a royal bitch. All the traffic on I-75 moved along at 45 miles an hour. At least up north, people knew how to drive in winter. It was a safe bet that the cars in the ditch belonged to downstaters or people from Ohio. He was hot, he was sleepy, the conditions were crap. Not a good combination when his whole life sat in the passenger seat next to him. Who was following him? Who? Donald pulled off the highway into a rest stop near Bay City. He exited slowly, seeing which cars behind him did the same. None did. They must have known he was onto them. Or maybe he was acting crazy. No one was following him. That was just nuts. He parked gently so as not to wake his daughter. Cars packed the lot. Some were still running, tailpipes trailing exhaust, windshield wipers fighting the constant battle against icy clumps of freezing rain. Other drivers had thrown in the towel, shutting off the engines and letting the freezing rain cover their cars in thin, bumpy sheets of ice. Since he was here, maybe he could just get some sleep. He shouldn't be driving when he felt like this. What if he fell asleep at the wheel? He quietly opened the door and headed to the trunk, shoulders hunched against the frigid, driving rain. He stopped halfway, face scrunching in pain, and head twitching to the left until his ear touched his shoulder. Another shooting pain, this one a real doozy. It faded slowly. By the time it was gone, Donald's jacket was nearly soaked. He cursed his brother for making him sick, then opened the trunk and pulled out a sleeping bag. Darting back into the car, he removed his wet coat before spreading half of the sleeping bag on his daughter. He spread the other half on himself, coughed, blew his nose, cursed his brother one more time, then laid his head against the headrest. Just an hour or two, a quick nap while the storm blew over and the snowplows cleared the highways, and then they'd be back on the road. Inside Donnie's body, things were rapidly shifting from fucking bad to even fucking worse. The problem began with his telomeres. What's a telomere? Picture the little plastic bits on the end of your shoelaces. Imagine each time you tie your shoes, you have to clip a little bit of that plastic part to get it to go through the lace holes. After you've done this enough times, the plastic tip is gone and the shoelace starts to unravel. Once the laces unravel enough, it's impossible to tie your shoes and you walk around looking like a goober. Telomeres are the DNA equivalent of those plastic shoelace bits. When your cells divide via mitosis, the chromosomes of those cells also divide. One set of chromosomes divides to become two half-sets. Your body duplicates each half-set and one cell becomes two daughter cells. Simple enough, but there's a catch. When your chromosomes split, it's like a zipper splitting into two parts. Enzymes flood the newly divided chromosome and fill in the missing zipper halves, one little zipper tooth at a time. Problem is, 
the zipper teeth can't reach all the way to the end. There has to be a little cap there, and that cap is the last bit of the repetitive telomere. On the next cell division, that last bit of telomere is discarded, just like the snip bit of the plastic shoelace. If cells with shortened telomeres continue to divide, bad stuff can happen. The cell might enter into apoptosis, the natural kind, not the triangle-induced chain reaction kind. Worse, damage to a critical gene might make the cell cancerous. This can happen in skin cells, muscle cells, lung cells, and even stem cells. When a stem cell splits into two daughter cells, it uses a process called differentiation to make one daughter cell another stem cell while the other becomes any number of good things. Muscle, bone, nerve cells, whatever. Stem cells are just funky that way. But as they divide, they suffer the same telomere reduction as any other cell. As you get older and cells continue to divide, those telomeres shorten and problems become more likely. We have a simple word for this phenomenon, aging. Cells with telomeres that are too short stop dividing and stop replenishing themselves. This is why your skin gets thin when you age, because the cells stop replicating as effectively. They have used up their telomeres during your preceding years of life. Or to think of it in simpler terms, a copy of a copy of a copy can get pretty messed up. Triangles use many stem cells to make their cellulose framework and become full-blown hatchlings. Sometimes old stem cell lines produce bad shit defective cells, even cancerous cells. When that happened, the reader balls and herders and builders identified bad stem cells and simply removed them. The stem cells producing crawler strands, on the other hand, worked as solo operatives. They were in a hurry. Herders focused on finding and converting more stem cells, not doing quality control. Donald, being the oldest of the three infected jewels, had more shortened telomeres than Betty and far more than Chelsea. Most of his modified stem cells produced defective muscle strands. Some of these strands were dead on arrival, just floating bits. Others lived long enough to send and receive the I am here signal and join up with other strands. Still others made it to full crawler size and began their mission along the nerves, although this effort alone was usually enough to make them shut down after a little bit of distance. And when they shut down, the rot began. Slowly at first, a low-level exponential reaction. But as the number of dead strands grew, so did the level of rot-inducing chemicals. Each modified muscle strand carried both the apoptosis catalyst and a strong counterchemical that blocked the catalyst. If there were more living strands than dead strands, the apoptosis couldn't gain a foothold. But when there were more dead strands, than living strands, that balance tipped the other way. Throughout Donnie's body, that balance was tipping fast. Tiny areas of cell death expanded and multiplied. Particularly in his left hand, the apoptosis compounded on itself and started to spiral out of control. While he slept, Donnie Jewell began to dissolve from the inside out. You have been listening to Contagious, book two of the Infected Trilogy, written by Scott Sigler, performed by the author, produced by Empty Set Entertainment. 
Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.